What I do is before I start anything, I make sure that whatever data I'm going to get will come through clean. So I make sure that all, all my Google tags are set up. I make sure all my conversion rate checkers are set up. I make sure all my goals are already in the system and I test that first. Welcome back to the Honest Marketing Podcast, where you learn proven strategies to grow your business without selling your soul. I'm your host, Travis Albritton, and my guest today is Michelle Bassett. Michelle has a very wide-ranging background from behavioral analysis to data science and internet marketing, has been around since the very beginning or close to the very beginning of search engine optimization and conversion rate optimization and, and all those kind of things, working with big brands and small companies. And so we really touch on a lot of different topics. Definitely encourage you to use the chapter markers or the YouTube timestamps to skip around to the topics that are interesting to you. But we talk about things like, you know, how behavioral analysis feeds into conversion rate optimization, the value of data and understanding your data and how to get clean data to be able to make actionable decisions about your marketing campaigns. What is a good sample size when you're thinking about getting enough data in to make the right decisions? And then how is AI going to change everything that we know about search engine optimization? So definitely make sure to use those chapter markers or timestamps so you can hop around. But here it is, my conversation with Michelle. Let's dive in. Well, Michelle, welcome to the Honest Marketing Podcast. Super excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. So before we dig into some of the questions that I have for you, which I'm super excited about, uh, why don't you give uh, those listening to the podcast just a little bit of your background, uh, your upbringing, your professional background, and your expertise now when it comes to digital marketing in particular? Okay, cool, cool. So um, I... Um... I don't want to go all the way back to 1988, but um, I, I kind of grew up in like a, a rough and tumble area. Um, some people call it the projects of of, of uh, New York. Um, and so uh, there were so, so many challenges there kind of just growing up and kind of getting through like the academic setting. Um, and one of the biggest challenges, which you wouldn't think was a challenge, but I couldn't actually read until I was like in the fourth grade. And I wind up accidentally teaching myself how to read um, because, again, very long story. If you want to get into it, I will. I kind of wind up break, breaking my leg. <clears throat> and then I wind up sitting on the remote and then Lion King was on. And that's how I learned how to teach myself how to read. Um, and so it was always this kind of seed of... I'm going to teach myself how to do these things because nobody else is going to teach me how to do it. And so that was very much the same approach when it came to like my entry into like internet marketing. So I started off, um, Savannah State, go Tigers. I started off at Savannah State. Um, and I got a bachelor's degree and, um, internet, uh, I'm lying. I got a bachelor's degree and, uh, behavior analysis. I started off. Uh, d doing the computer science trick because uh, I kind of wanted to be a practitioner of orthotics and prosthetics. I know those two things don't go together, but <laughs> I wound up taking a lot of computer classes because I was like going to make cyborgs. That is what I was going to do with, 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 with my life. Grand plan. Um, calculus three rolls around, totally derails my computer science dreams. So I thought, <laughs> and then um, I wound up switching over to the behavior analysis program. That's like psychology, but more like Pavlonian conditioning and environmental stuff. And so uh, when I graduated, lo and behold, I actually did have enough credits to get my computer science degree. So I have two degrees. Uh, so I have a bachelor's degree in computer science. 
which was an accident by the registrar's office, but they're not getting it back. And I have a, a bachelor's degree in behavior analysis. Um, from there, coming out of school, it was like 2011. Life was still topsy-turvy and like upside down. Um, for those of you who graduated around like the 2008-ish period, there was stuff going on, right? <clears throat> and so with a behavior analysis degree, um, it was like, you could be like an ABA teacher. So you're, you're working with like um, children with disabilities or like autism, or you could go like experimental route. Either way, they're making like $37,000 a year and I was going to be broke. And I don't, I, I don't like poverty, even though I came from it. I'm like, eh, I don't want to go back there. So <clears throat> right before I graduated, um, you know, uh, back in the day before GDPR and all this stuff kind of popped up. It was like, you could just be on a random website and it'd be like a pop-up like, oh, you won a thousand dollars. Just click this link and give us your, us your social security number, right? Stuff like that. So one of those pop-ups popped up and it was like, um, essentially it was like, click these three buttons and, and these three clicks, you'll learn how to make a hundred thousand dollars online or whatever, right? <clears throat> and so I don't even remember what it was. But I wound up paying $47.99. I was young and dumb, loose on, on the internet streets. And I pressed the three buttons, didn't get $100,000, and I was just out of $47.99. But that kind of started the whole, somebody got the money. <laughs> so it kind of started this whole trick of, all right, if I'd not scam people, can I still make money online? And so that was around 2010, right before 2011. So that's when like the uh, Google Panda update came out and it kind of changed at the whole SEO game as a whole. And so I got into internet marketing via SEO. And then again, once I graduated in 2011, realized that I didn't have any job prospects whatsoever. My grand plans of making cyborgs just wasn't going to be a thing. And I got stuck essentially in Atlanta. Cause by that point I was, I was in Atlanta. So, um, yeah, life had the fork a little bit. Long story short, why I'm going to full sale, got a uh, master's degree in um, internet marketing, because if you're like me, you took out a bunch of loans for undergrad. As soon as you graduate, they're like, Hey, where's my money? And it's like, I don't got no money. And then they're like, well, you got to go back to school. And I'm like, fine, I guess, whatever. <laughs> so, so I wound up getting the master's. Um, uh, from there, the story's almost over, I promise. And, um, and so, uh, I wound up working for a lot of agencies. Uh, I still stayed in the SEO space, just kind of like, that's how old I am. It was called Elance. So a long time ago, it was Elance, Fiverr, and Upwork. Okay. Now it's just Upwork. And I don't know if, Fiverr's still Fiverr's stuff. Now you go on Fiverr, it's like $500. Like that's not what Fiverr's supposed to be about. <laughs> but, um, but so, uh, I got a lot of like little small gig work, um, like Elance, like doing spin tax, a lot of gray hat ish type stuff. you like, that was probably a crime, probably a crime against humanity that I was doing, but, um, uh, and then, you know, it was, I like the more legitimate stuff and, 
Um, I, I, did, I did a few projects uh, with like the SEM Rush team as well. Long story short, <laughs> uh, I wound up working for a lot of different agencies. Um, I worked for a lot of different individual businesses as well. And then, um, you know, health insurance reasons in America, uh, for those of us in America, um, you know, you have to have a job <laughs> to have <laughs> to have health insurance that doesn't cost a million dollars a month. But even then, you still can't see a doctor. So it's fine. It, it's good. We're, we're staying strong. Um, so that's pretty much my career and then I became a data scientist. That's a different story for a different day. <laughs> so I'm currently a data scientist, actually. <laughs> but um, uh, I guess I'll kind of dive into that just a tad bit. Uh, so for those of you who know the term conversion rate optimization, I was doing that by accident. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. Uh, so when I was at um, Yellow Pages, I don't know if you guys remember those big, thick books that you used to get and sit on when you were like five so you could actually reach the table. But uh, the, the Yellow Pages had a, a digital department. And so when I was there, we had these regions. So I had South Florida, so Broadward County, so that's like Miami area. And all of my campaigns were doing really, really well by like ad spend census and um, conversion rate and things like that. And it was like, it kind of put a spotlight on me that I didn't like because now I got to do more work because the more work you do, the more work you get. It's a trap, guys. Don't fall for it. But <laughs> but uh, my campaigns were doing really, really well because I had um, I had all this data behind it. And so we had the regular Google Analytics, but I kind of set up my own charts and everything else so that I could see, okay, on Tuesdays, this plumbing company it's all trash. We're not running ads on Tuesdays. So I was kind of doing it before all the programmatic AI, which we'll get into type stuff started happening. And I was just doing it manually. I was like, all right, conversion rate sucks on Tuesdays for this plumbing company, or they're not answering the phone or whatever else. So I would just tweak it from there and just make, make it work that way. Then the yellow pages closed. <laughs> so we all got laid off and, um, uh, when you do such a big layoff, uh, there's like laws and stuff. So like they had to pay for, um, education or training or whatever to kind of help, help us get into like another either field or job or whatever. And so, um, I decided that I was going to go to Emory and take, uh, data science courses. <laughs> um, and so from then I started doing really, really well, um, even better. Um, just like A B split testing and things like that and using um big databases to like look at not only ads and marketing, but just like company structures as a whole. And that is where I'm at now. <laughs> this is where I'm at. But um I, I know I know a lot of your audience doesn't really care about all the number mum, the number mumbo jumbo, but uh that's what I do now. <laughs> well, maybe not yet. Maybe we'll change their mind after this episode. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So you're definitely well-traveled. Lots yes. of different hats that you've picked up and capabilities over time. And it's like some of the things that I want to ask you about are like the crossovers of mm -hmm. a lot of those different skill sets and backgrounds. Because there aren't many internet marketers or entrepreneurs or business owners that have degrees in behavioral analysis, uh, which, you know, I, I think makes you... A unicorn of sorts, maybe a purple unicorn. Yeah, yeah purple uh, unicorn, of course. <laughs> so the first question I want to ask you is, taking all these things and putting them together, your expertise in behavioral analysis, your expertise in internet marketing, are there any stories or specific instances where 
being able to combine those unique uh, backgrounds was able to lead to a breakthrough or a big outcome for yourself or a client you were working with? Yes. So um, a big part of behavior analysis, right, is the analysis part, right? Um, So you got the psychology and why people do what they do and everyone's crazy. And then you have the numbers that justify the actions. And so when it comes to, um, you know, any sort of marketing, any funnel, right? So that is a behavior, a set of behaviors that you want to happen. And then you don't know if your funnel is doing good, bad, left, right, whatever, unless you have numbers. <laughs> so they're very, very, very closely linked um, to the point where um, some would say it is unethical <laughs> that how linked they are. Um, so like doom scrolling and, and, and all that stuff. Um, that's a part that there's a lot of psychology that went into those those features that we now just see everywhere. Um, even as far as TikTok, um, uh, Google Shorts, Reels, whatever. It's a lot of psychology that plays into that. So if you are a marketer and you're marketing on TikTok, it's how do I get these people to, to stop, right? Um, and so on Facebook for a little while, um, um, and I actually didn't take part in this particular venture for legal purposes but um but but on facebook for a while it was you saw a lot of red um a lot of red boxes around um things or you saw like little circles where like the circle wasn't circling anything you're like what is this but but that just what is this it it made you stop right and so um stuff like that really links it so your psychology as a human if you see a red circle circling something you're going to stop at least for a millisecond but that millisecond is all you need if you have a really good hook and so um a lot of what i've been doing as far as consulting and and even um looking at people's ads and split testing and doing that divergence testing or whatever else it's why do ads in your space because if you're looking for a plumber, <laughs> now we're back on plumbers, versus you're looking for a credit card company, right? Those are two very different sort of mindsets and intentions and everything else, right? And so it's just knowing what that attention is at that time and then capitalizing off of that. So that's what a lot of what I'm doing. I don't, I can't get into too many details because- sure. NDAs and lawyers and I, I can't fight things, <laughs> so, <That's all> right. <laughs> but, uh, but a, a lot of it is very, very, very linked. Um, and sometimes not in a good way. Yeah. So, well, it's, it's one of those things where like with great power comes great responsibility, right? Like once yes, you know yes. the behaviors that you're helping to influence or, you know, and sometimes coerce if you're being very black hat about it. Yes. It's like, you you know, like, well, this could lead to this outcome, which would be great for our bank account, but bad for humanity, as you uh, as you put it. And sometimes we don't know um, at the time that it's going to be bad for humanity. Right. And so um, with Facebook, I don't think anybody at Facebook initially was like, oh, we're going to cause teenage girls to hate themselves for multiple generations. <laughs> like, I don't think that that was, you know, the the game plan, so to speak. And I think what a lot of the newer technology, and I'm not a technophobe or anything, I, I think what a lot of the technology coming out, there'll be a lot of negative side effects that we didn't see coming 
or if we do see them coming financially, it doesn't make sense for them for the events not to come. Sure. Yeah, there's certain there's certain factors driving the innovation in a certain direction. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you've consulted for a lot of different types of companies, sizes of companies in all different kinds of sectors. What's the difference when you're thinking about helping with performance with internet marketing for a small business versus a larger brand that has multiple moving, moving pieces, global footprints, all kinds of verticals? What are the things that are different between those two different kinds of companies? And what are the things that stay the same that are just time tested? Everyone's got to do this. This is the blocking and tackling of marketing. Money. Give me, give me a, yeah, money. Is that the big difference? <laughs> the budget? Money. The answer is money. No. Yeah. Um, so what is different um, outside of money? Because uh, when, when, I, when I look at um, campaigns, right, in general, I, I'm always percentage-based, right? So here's your market. You're in Southeast America. Here's your market. Um, and here's the saturation in the market that you can get. Um, and so that's actually probably one of the things that actually stays the same. Um, because I, I, I like to have consistency and footprints and, you know, here, here's the marketing plan. Here's the milestones. Here, like, like, like the foundational things will always stay the same, no matter who I'm talking to, regardless mm-hmm. of size, budget, uh, national campaign, regional campaign, international campaign. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Those foundational pillars and principles will always stay the same and the plan will, I don't want to say the plan will stay the same because sometimes markets change, you know, uh, and there's seasonality as well. Like, um, you know, uh, ad spins, uh, you know, is at an all time high and, you know, there's only so many people that can get <laughs> in front of a YouTube audience or whatever. Right. And so that's something that would stay the same. The main difference is, and again, I keep going back to money, but, but, but it is the amount of data that can come through. So, so if we're only talking about paid marketing, I'm talking about SEO or like anything like that. But if you spend a thousand dollars, like that thousand dollars only gets you, let's say a thousand people to come in. Now, if you're a lawyer, it might be five people, right? So it's kind of like the budget will determine the amount of data that comes in. Um, and then the more data you have, the more you can change things. You can uh, do variance testing. You can do a whole bunch of other stuff if you have more market um, outreach. So if you don't have a big budget, no, that, that that's not a big deal per se, because now we can lean on more things like email. We can lean on more things like um, more organic influencer marketing, not like organic organic marketing because uh, I, I I do like things to go a little bit quick, more, 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 more quick. So if I'm running a Facebook campaign and it's more than, you know, a week out and I haven't changed anything, something's wrong, <laughs> right? So um, some people, if, if I'm like at an IBM company, like Red Hat or whatever, and like it's three, four days out, now something's wrong. Um, but a lot of people have been depending on, um, like, like the programmatic aspect of Facebook or Google. Um, they, they have their, and it's totally blanket on this right now, but Google has their, um, uh, 
Performance Max out right now. And they have all their enhanced biddings that they had before, but you know, the algorithms change a little bit. Um, so a lot of people, a lot of small businesses, even small agencies are just depending on that. And that can take you to a certain point, but, um, it can only take you so far because it will only use what you give it. And, um, even I know we're not talking about AI right now, but anytime you're, 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 uh, dealing with any sort of AI or, or computer or any base system, garbage in, garbage out. There's no in between. <laughs> but if you don't know you're putting garbage in, you got to put garbage in, look at what's going on and then change what you put in. Um, and the one thing that also stays the same and a lot of my, Colleagues in corporate America might not agree with me on this one, but um, you you can't be afraid to fail, right? And then what's failure? You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, like you can't be afraid to fail. If you do this illustrious plan and you have everything planned out and you know like for sure at the top of your funnel, you're going to have 1.6 million impressions, even though that doesn't mean anything. And, and they're going to trickle down and your, your campaign is going to make the company $17 million in three weeks. And it doesn't happen. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, it, it's okay. Go back, see what worked, see what didn't work, test, and it goes all the way down. Everything doesn't have to be done in three weeks. Some stuff might take three months. Some stuff might take three years. Some stuff probably shouldn't take at all. Like you shouldn't have did it. <laughs> and so fail fast, fail early. It's okay. And um, that message was also the project ma managers. You know who you are, <laughs> but um, but some features aren't meant to be features <laughs> and that's okay. Let it go. Stop changing buttons for no reason. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of follow-up questions uh, for you there. <laughs> the first thing I wanted to pick your brain on is what is a sample size that you look at to know that you have enough data to make an educated change to a funnel or a step when you're optimizing? You know, because like you said, like if you get five people to go through the top of a funnel, it's like, okay, my conversion rate's 20% because one opted in. But if I have a thousand people go through, maybe that conversion rate is 8%. And I didn't know that it was actually 8% because my sample size was so small. What's what's the amount of data that you want to see to get a good idea of the behavior of how the funnel or the campaign is working to then make the appropriate adjustments? So um, conversion rate, not standing right so i always have like little micro goals in between and some of those if we're talking about a more traditional funnel outside of click funnels it's just page 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 um or interaction 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 dependent um it's how engaged in general before they get to a checkout page before they get to be offered to get anything uh to to pay for anything how engaged is the audience and so Sample size aside, because again, we could be talking about international versus a, a five mile radius if, if you're a, a bakery or whatever, you know? So it's for this region, if you live in a small town and there's only 500 people in this town, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not looking for a thousand interactions because at that point I also failed because there's only 500 people in this town. <laughs> so it's like, what's going on here but um 
But um, sample size would be um, market specific. But if I can tap into, let's say, 10% of whatever market and, you know, when you get international, that becomes an outrageous number. But for a small area, if I can get 10% of whatever the before market research was, so let's say it's, you know, 500 to 1,000 um, actual unique users. But what I do is before I start anything. I make sure that whatever data I'm going to get, here goes that data science hat, <laughs> whatever data I'm going to get will come through clean. So um, I make sure that all, all my Google tags are set up. Uh, I make sure all my conversion rate checkers are set up. I make sure all my goals are already in the system. And I, I test that first, right? Because a lot of times people especially young, younger marketing people at agencies or whatever, they'll set everything up, they'll press go, and then they realize that there's no Google Analytics or or Adobe Analytics, whatever analytics on their pages. <laughs> They're like, oh no, the main website has it. So this these pages have to have it. It's like, no, you made this in, in um, HubSpot or Marketo or whatever, it's not attached <laughs> to any of the data that's going on. Or, or they will build these pages, click funnels, whatever. It sits outside of the main organization, but then they pay. So like the so like the customers will go through the funnel, but then the payment page is on either a company side or or a Stripe page or something else, and it is is not connected. So that was my little path over here on the side. So you can have a billion people, <laughs> but if your data isn't set up and your footprint isn't set up properly and your data nets, lack of a better term, um, I made that up. So if you hear somebody else say data nets, they stole it from me. Um, <laughs> Trademark so like, TM. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, it, so like it, if, your, if your data nets aren't cast and set out properly, it doesn't matter what's going on there. Back to your question about sample size. <laughs> so, pending that everything's set up properly, um, I want to see whatever the, the market research told me was going to be there. Number one. So I want to see about 10% of that in the first uh, week or two. Um, and then if not, and if I do have permission to, I'll expand to get more data. And sometimes people become frustrated, uh, especially the, the actual brick and mortar physical places. Uh, they'll be like, oh, well, you're getting people from three towns over, blah, 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 blah. And sometimes you have to explain in the earlier part of the campaign, it's like, hey, I need these people and these people who are Joe Schmo, just regular people that you actually want to come into your store. I need to see how they go through this funnel for this product. And I need to see how they interact with things. So these 300 people over here, I can't take that at face value, walk away. I'm done. I did a good job. I got 300 people to see your, your washing machine. <laughs> I made that up. Sorry. <laughs> but, but it's like, I might need 3000 people. So let me do this. I promise it'll be like two weeks and then I'll scale back down. So, um, it really depends on data nets and expectations, not really sample size per se. But um, sometimes business, smaller business owners, they go on YouTube and they see things on Instagram or whatever. And it's just like, oh, well, I should have a 15% conversion rate 
Um, so if I spend this, then my dollar should make 10 X and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, who told you that? <laughs> who you been talking to? What is going on? <laughs> and so, um, a lot of my job when it comes to consulting, especially with smaller, smaller companies, it's setting those ex- expectations and then also stressing, making sure that the funnel is set up and that the data can see every single page. And um, what happens a lot of time there is that they understand that they need analytics, whether it's free or paid or whatever, but they don't know how to set it up or set it up properly. And then they lose, um, they lose, I don't want to say faith, but like they lose interest. There we go. And like the process of doing all this stuff, because they thought it was give this person a thousand dollars and they're going to change my my life. And mm-hmm. it was like, no, I need to do these 15 other things first. <laughs> right. Do you have a team for that? <laughs> Not, I know a guy. <laughs> Not, I know. So. Yeah. Well, and that, that comes back to the, you know, what you said before about, you know, you have to spend money to learn. And so, you know, it's not going to be profitable right off the bat. Like you still have to learn all the lessons of what works, what doesn't work. So you mm-hmm. can hone it down to, you know, weeks or months later. Now mm-hmm. we got it locked in. Now we know it works. Now we can scale it up and know that we're making money. And, and things change too. The whole landscapes change. Algorithms change. People change <laughs> as well. Just as far as, you know, having money, not having money, spending, not spending. So it is a forever learning process. You're saying if something works, that doesn't mean five years from now, it's still going to work exactly the same. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> For the people in the back, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not, not naming any names. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that continues to change and continues to evolve is search engine optimization, which is kind of like this, uh, you know, in the minds of a lot of people that I know that aren't in the weeds of the data and understanding how things work. It's it's this magic pill, this this fairy dust that you sprinkle on top of a website and then Lo and behold, a bunch of people start showing up and giving you money. Uh, but SEO continues to change and evolve, especially now with AI, not just with ChatGPT, but Google having Bard starting to be built into their search homepage. And I'm curious what you're seeing as far as shifts in the SEO space and and really its role holistically in how businesses think about internet marketing. Because um, it's not a one size fits all thing. It's not like, oh, if you nail SEO, all your problems are solved. It's one piece of a larger marketing puzzle, but how do you see that piece fitting in moving forward as some of these other innovations start to become more mainstream and people start to use it more to find answers to questions? I think AI will do one of two things when it comes to SEO. Um, and and I, I've had a, um, it's it's actually chat GPT. It's a, it's a plugin. Um, but when I go on Google, it's like a little sidebar and it'll summarize whatever because I'm lazy. <laughs> not, not even going to sugarcoat that. But um, SEO has been messed up, humble opinion, for at least the past three years. And that was because companies with budgets a long time ago, once upon a time, they figured out that if, okay, I spam this and pay this person and do this and do that, then I'll be at the first ranking of Google. And so 
even when you go on Google now, and Google has admitted this as far as the higher ups, it's a lot of times when you're looking for something and you really need something, you can't find it on Google. Um, and I think SE, I think um, AI, whether it's Bard or Lambda or ChatGPT or whatever, um, it's going to create a space where people will have like their custom GPTs. Um, even inside a notion now, um, there, there's like a little AI feature where if you have like five years of notion notes, like some people do, <laughs> um, or, or you have like a book idea or whatever, you can just use it on the side. And I don't know what, what program it is based off of, but it will look through your five years of notes and it will give you solutions or, or, or answer questions or continue writing books for you or whatever but like in your words in in your tone grammar mistakes and spelling mistakes say right Mm -hmm. which is not a good thing no one needs to know that i can't spell different like (laughs) why would you tell people i can't spell different but anyway that's a different story but um i think the role for it in seo would be either taking people away from search engines altogether um, so that it's more of a customized, bigger echo chamber, which also isn't necessarily a good thing. Well, it'll just pull down from different news resources or it'll pull down from different health resources or what have you. And then that'll be a more custom. This is Michelle's information spear. This is how she asks questions. This is what she's looking for. This is what she is going down. I don't like that, (laughs) but that is a possibility. Another possibility as far as SEO goes is that ChatGPT specifically, when you're writing your 5,000 word article or your thousand word article or whatever, um, it will start to copy information from itself, but on somebody else's website. So it'll be a lot of misinformation going on, but you can rank higher because it knows exactly what good SEO is, right? And so um, that's a positive if you just want to write quick and dirty articles and rank up really fast, um, I guess. That got real depressing real fast. Uh, but, <laughs> but I really like AI though. I really do. I've been talking about it for at least the past eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've really been into it, <laughs> but that was, sad. <laughs> that was sad. Well, I think, you know, there's always, change is always hard in the sense that you don't know what's coming down the pipe. You don't know how it's going to change things or impact things. You just have to be agile. And, and once things become clear, be able to adjust and to take advantage of opportunities and be a first mover, you know? So like if ChatGPT gets sued enough times for scraping data, then, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to create the data that they do scrape and get, you know, cited from that. And it's like, oh, well, here's where we got that information. And that becomes a way to leverage AI to actually pull traffic to your website. There are some people in companies who um, are now saying this was written by AI. And there's, there's, like, a, there's like a Hugging Face, um, uh, Hugging Face is a website uh, where they have a bunch of like uh, open source AI and pictures and whatever. So, um, so there's like Hugging Face stuff where it'll be like, this is 80% written by AI. This is 90% written by a person, right? And so I think that there will, will be a market 
of consumers who would like their SEO rankings sorted by, all right, this is 90% person, (laughs) right? And so I think the most savvy uh, search engine company would come out with, you choose your own ranking. (laughs) So people versus artificial intelligence. And so um, I think that there will always be, especially an older audience who would appreciate by older, I mean like me, I don't mean like, <laughs> like, like millennials. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I am close to 40 now. Jesus. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I don't mean AARP senior citizen discount people. Sure, sure. I mean like 30 to up, you know, yeah. we're like, if I'm on WebMD, which I swore off many, many years ago, uh, cause I ca- chronically have brain cancer according to WebMD. I went and got scanned. They said, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Stay off the internet. Um, but you know, if, if I have something going on, like flu like symptoms or whatever else, like I had, you know, last week, then, um, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily want a robot to be like, oh, you could have the flu or you could have, this rare disease that comes from Cambodia. <laughs> Cause then I'm going to go with, I have a rare disease that comes from Cambodia and not, I have the flu. So, <laughs> um, you know, just like having more like teledocs, right. Um, if we're talking about the medical health space, um, and just like having the ability to reach out and talk to more people, I think will become a very lucrative field. So if you're on a website or whatever, um, and you're looking for a a SEO company, um, and you're going through the funnel, I think that there'll be more human touch points in marketing funnels moving forward. Um, because people want to see, okay, is this a person or is this a machine (laughs) that was built by a savvy person? Um, so I've been on way more Zoom calls recently as well. Just out of paranoia, <laughs> both for my consumer and people reaching out to me too. They're like, are you real? I'm like, I think I don't know. Holographic <laughs> universe. I don't know. <laughs> Last time I checked, yeah, I might be real. I don't know. For <laughs> we'll sure. See. <laughs> well, this has been super fun, Michelle. Where can people go to connect with you uh, if they want to chat with you about their own marketing needs or mm-hmm. uh, just see what else you're up to? Yeah, I'm always doing something random. So um, if you just go on LinkedIn, um, Michelle A. Bassett, it's like a little purple unicorn thing on there. Um, Just find me, talk to me. I'm pretty open. I've been having really, really crazy conversations (laughs) Um, just about the uh, uh, marketing, data, AI, world domination type things. So um, if you just want to chit chat to a maybe real person um, <laughs> i'm pretty much on linkedin awesome well thank you so much for your time michelle really appreciate you being here Harry, thank you so my number one takeaway from my conversation with michelle is when i was asking her about sample size and the reason i asked her that question is because i've heard from a lot of different people some similar answers when it comes to selling things online or driving funnel traffic or uh, things like that and the sample size I'd always seen was basically a thousand. You want to get a thousand people to come through the top of your funnel or your landing page or what have you to get enough data to know this is a good sample to know that this is a data set that I can use and understand. And what I appreciate about Michelle's answer is that it really does depend. So if you are selling in a more local market, there might not be a thousand people to even reach out to. And so you want to adjust the sample size and 
your test size for the potential size of your market. And so instead of thinking about a finite number of people, like a thousand, think about a market saturation number, like 10%. So that's something that I've not heard before and really appreciated that alternative perspective. And so when you're thinking about your own campaigns, think about the number of people you're trying to reach. And instead of just looking at maybe a thousand clicks, what does that sample size really look like for you? Well, if you want to follow up with Michelle and connect with her on LinkedIn, that link will be in the show notes below. And until next time, be honest. Oh, <laughs>